Hello, my lovers, my poppies, my kittens, my schmoopies. Hi. Before we begin this episode, I am offering a trigger warning. Um, bullying, suicidal ideation come up in the conversation. So please take care of yourselves if you are sensitive to that subject. That shouldn't stop you, however, from learning more and delving into this new fuckery brought to you by your very own What the Fuckery podcast. Um, By now, I'm guessing we've all heard of the term doula, but it's usually in the context of childbirth, of uh, a, a woman who is accompanying uh, someone who's about to give birth. But the true definition of a doula as we know it and are familiar with, at least in this country, is that of a non-medical companion um, who supports another individual through significant uh, related experience. And childbirth is usually what we see in media. The World Health Organization, in fact, recommended that every birthing woman should have a doula. So we think uh, of all the support that is available when we are entering this world, but what happens at the end of our lives? What the fuckery is a death doula? Well, we're about to find out. I'm Nadej Hoggest, your host. If this is your first time, welcome. And here's what you can expect. What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about. A series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, or concepts we struggle with understanding. The very things we should know more about but are afraid to discuss. Our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstream, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth whether we accept them or not. And if in that process we manage to bring clarity to you, dear lover, puppy, kitten, schmoopy, then thank you for being open, curious, and willing. In that vein today, my guest is the lovely... Talia Ayers Randolph. Talia Ayers Randolph is a Reiki master, an ordained minister, and an end-of-life doula, an experienced registered yoga teacher. And she has one mission. Her mission is to ignite seeds of light within the hearts of every living being. She believes that the pursuit of enlightenment is a human birthright and she is here to and is here to help you move beyond the physical self and tap into something much more real. Um as such, she has a robust client list. She is known for working with celebrity clientele as well as having been featured on CNN, ABC, Fox and 
Keeping up with the Kardashians. Now, I've never heard of that family. Have you, the little Kardashians? Hmm. But all joking aside, uh, she is a powerhouse in my opinion, and we are very lucky to have her. Uh, she also had the honor of performing alongside the Los Angeles Philharmonic as a singing bowl soloist at the Hollywood Bowl under the musical direction of Grammy Award-winning conductor Gustavo Dudamel. I love Gustavo. Uh, she is a Toronto native and was introduced to shamanism, Taoism, yoga, and A Course in Miracles from the time she was born. And these practices are at the core of her spiritual foundation, which started the groundwork for her own journey into the healing arts. Without further ado, here is this inspiring conversation. Talia, what the fuckery is a death doula? <laughs> I should say welcome, but you know. <laughs> yes. So a death doula, or I like to kind of say end of life doula. So it's, it's just not harsh, as sexy. You know? <laughs> it's not as sexy. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, essentially, it's someone who helps a person who is in transition at the end of their lives helping them to come to a space of peace before they pass on. So that is the essential job and work of someone who is an end-of-life doula or death doula. Mm. Um, you know, it makes perfect sense, right? Because when we're coming into this world, we are supported somehow, right? And I understand there are birth doulas as well. And I think most people are familiar with that concept. Uh, but they always think of a, of a birth doula as someone who uh, who is for people who don't want to give birth in hospitals. I don't know that that's true. I don't know if you can speak on that. But uh, a death doula or end of life uh, person such as yourself, uh, I assume, is for the end of life, as you've said. But my question is, though, what is the process as to how someone gets a hold of you? And when does it start? It So essentially, it can happen at any phase of the process because some of us don't know exactly when it is that we're going to pass. We don't have, you know, an exact date and time. Like when we have a birth, you know, kind of this is the general time where the baby's coming. People can be given a few weeks to live. People can be given a few months, a few years. So working with someone who is starting to face those end of life questions can really happen at any point that they're comfortable with. And it can begin just with conversations, one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions. And I also use my whole spiritual toolbox in terms of the other services that I offer. So I'll be doing mostly Reiki and sound healing as well as the spiritual coaching with someone who is starting to face those questions. And a lot comes up when we're faced with, Mortality. you know, my time is coming, you know, and all of a sudden you start to think about things that you didn't do in your life, people who you haven't forgiven. You want to come to a place of completion and just peace and acceptance. And a lot of us need help to tap into that space. And 
many people suffer when they don't allow themselves that time to kind of tie up those loose ends from their life and all of the moments that they've maybe suppressed a little bit begin to come to the surface and become uh, it becomes very urgent for the soul to want to reconcile all of those things that have happened in anyone's life. And so it definitely is very lucky if you are given time to plan and live out your days the way that you want to, because we know so many people pass instantly and tragically and suddenly, and you don't even have this opportunity in, you know, in a lot of ways, those souls kind of drift and become lost for a little bit before they can fully cross over to the other side. And so also the work of a death doula is working with people who experience tragic loss. So they might not be the person who is in the process of passing themselves, but just helping them through their grief process and using alternative modalities to help bring that sense of just reconciliation and peace. So it can really be a service for someone who is transitioning themselves, or it can be close loved ones, family, friends, you know, a partner who is needing help coping with what's going on, but from a perspective that is not necessarily a Western perspective, because, you know, many people go through therapy and these other Western modalities, um, but get to a point where they're looking for just something different. And something that is touching on the energetic experience of end of life. You know, I'm listening to you and I'm, I get the uh, privilege to look at your beautiful, beautiful face. There's such light around you. Um, and I am moved to know that there are people like you who are called to do such an important, it's important work, what you do. and. When you mentioned early on in your response that you tap into all of your spiritual tools, can we delve a little bit into what are your spiritual tools? The other. So the main, yeah, the other modalities that I'll use in these end of life sessions are Reiki, meditation, sound healing, and sometimes a little bit of gentle and restorative yoga as well. It all depends on kind of the body and where someone's at, but if um, it's, it's more so meditation and the energy healing modalities that I use because they're super accessible. You can do them laying down um, without needing to do any sort of movement. And um, it's really quite powerful just being able to hold space with someone who has all these unknown questions. And it's not like I have the answers to say, this is what's going to happen when you pass. And, you know, I'm not a psychic medium. So it's definitely very different from that, but kind of how you were touching on earlier with the birth doulas and people thinking that, oh, it's only if you don't want to give birth in a hospital. So the doula is really just there to care for the individual person, regardless of everything medical that is going on. A lot of times um, doctors and nurses are, can be burdened with the more emotional support that they don't necessarily all have the time to offer that sort of support because they are all dealing with so many patients. So that's where the role of a doula really becomes crucial because it helps to relieve doctors and nurses from just being able to focus on their clinical job. And then you get to help with the mental, emotional, spiritual aspect of a person, which is, you know, just as important. And so 
this can mean working with someone in their homes. It can be mean working in a hospital um, or in a hospice, just whatever space that person um, happens to be in. And how someone would find me so far, everything is always just organic by word of mouth and by someone who a lot of times people find me and don't even really say what they're going through until a few sessions in. And so that's been my journey with all of this. I don't like heavily promote, hire me, you know, as your death doula. It's not really, you know, a a service that I have so boldly out there. It's either someone has a friend or family member and they already come to me for services and they realize, you know, I think this will really benefit um, this person that I know that's going through this thing. Or it's a client starts booking usually Reiki sessions with me, and then I'll find out a few sessions in as they start to open up and we build that relationship that they're at a certain point in their cancer journey. And so sometimes it's not even, um, I have also clients that have not passed as well. So sometimes it's just because someone's been diagnosed with, you know, maybe stage two cancer and they are starting to have all of these questions come up and they don't really know who is the person that I talk to about these things about all of a sudden overnight, understanding this connection to my non-physical self, the spiritual self. And that's where me and and people like me who do the work that I do really come in. Or how I met you by attending your (laughs) yoga classes. I just love, love, love that hour. Uh, Talia, how did you even begin your journey? How did you connect to the spiritual aspect of life early on and eventually found your way into this field? I definitely took many different twists and turns. It was never something that I sought out or was like, I want to become this thing. A lot of it was just family and lifestyle and just the surroundings of how I grew up. And so I was, so I was introduced to kind of every aspect of the healing arts from a very young age by very important women in my life. And so my mother and my grandmother practiced yoga and meditation. And so that was my kind of initial upbringing in terms of these are practices that you do just as a way of being and a way of living and just for daily balance, not something that you seek out to do professionally, but this is just about a personal practice. It's something it's a, lifestyle. a lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. And then my godmother, she is a psychic medium and a shamanic healer. And she works only with people who have loved ones who've passed. And so I was from a super young age, just introduced to this whole esoteric realm <laughs> of psychic mediumship and just hearing all of her stories as I was younger, every time she would come over for dinner, I would just always ask her, you know, who did you work with recently? You know, what story do you have for me? And so we just started this really beautiful, deep spiritual relationship based around death, which is interesting because you, a lot of people try and shield their children from death, but I feel like I was just exposed to it from a very early age and understanding that it's a beautiful part of life and nothing to be afraid of. And then after that, as I started to get a little older, um, I started experiencing lots of death in my life, of family, of friends, um, of people who are very close around me. And 
So I feel like it wasn't something that all of a sudden one day in my late twenties or thirties, you know, it's like now I'm dealing with death for the first time. Um, I've been experiencing, you know, I'm just one of those people who's, who's had a lot of death around them. Um, and so in a way it's made me very comfortable with it and understanding just the preciousness of life and just the law of impermanence that nothing lasts forever. And the only thing that is real is are things that change. Um, and so that is what kind of opened and expanded my mind to this whole realm of being, but it wasn't until 2012 that I decided that I was going to get into this line of work as a career. And it, it really started with yoga, started with yoga teacher training, then Reiki, and then meditation, and then sound, and then the end of life doula. And I also did a lot of um, body modalities as well. Um, and just one practice would lead to the another, then would inform the next one. And so that's what just kept me building and growing and, and realizing that, hey, you actually can do this. Um, there, it was just like a light bulb that switched off for me. And it's, that's also a long story <laughs> itself. But um, in a nutshell, I quit everything in 2011, quit my job, everything. I was from um, Canada. I grew up in Toronto, Ontario, and I used to do musical theater. And that was my whole world and everything that I knew and was just like, I just want to be on Broadway. And like, this is, you know, like from the time I was four years old, that was basically my dream and everything that I did kind of led towards that. But when I got in the industry, I just, I felt depressed a lot and I, I didn't feel happy and I didn't feel like myself. And I just, I was actually listening to Oprah's show and she had a reverend on there that said, there's a difference between talent and purpose. And for the first time, I felt like I gave myself permission to be okay with the fact that just because I'm talented at this thing doesn't mean it's a waste if I don't pursue it as like my full-time passion and career. It's like, I felt like because I could sing and dance and act and do all these things, like you have to do it. And definitely my family pushed me for that. So I think once I realized that, oh, wow, like there can be purpose beyond your talent. Sometimes your purpose and talent align and sometimes they don't, but both are okay. And so 2012 is when I really gave myself permission to go back to school, study these things that I was really passionate about, um, and then just see what would happen from there. Wasn't there some big portal in 2012 that opened as well? I mean, I, yeah, right? Yeah, it was the Mayan calendar that yes. was ending. So and it's no I, accident that you did this, this <laughs> natural major shift and decision took place right around that time. And, and what a powerful thing you said that sometimes your talent and your purpose don't align. And that's okay because I firmly believe that somehow you will come full circle and we will understand why you needed to have this talent in order for this purpose to keep going forth. And, and for now, it's just part of this exciting journey. And I, I can't wait exactly. to, see, to see what's going to happen with you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't make plans. 
not I anymore. Truly, you, yeah. You seem to be good at surrendering and not resisting. I'm sure you have, you, but from the outside looking in, you just kept on letting one thing was leading to the other, to the other, and you just went and rolled with it. And here you are for now. This is your pit stop. Yeah. <laughs> this is what yes, you're doing. Exactly. Now. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. And, and here we are. And yeah, I'm just, I just feel grateful and happy that it could, because I think it was always something that I was also drawn to just as much as performing arts, but because you never really saw examples of it and examples that were out there of like alternative spirituality at the time, people were just really making fun of it. And it just wasn't really taken seriously. And so I think I just thought, you know, that's just, that can't even be possible. But then once I got immersed in the world of it and I, I moved a few places. I moved to Cape Town, South Africa, and then I moved to Arizona before I came to LA. I was and wondering. When I was in both of those. Yeah. So when I was in both of those places, um, it and meeting other people who do this work, I think that's what really inspired me to be like, this is a very, very small niche and bubble, but it's so important. It's so needed. And over time, humanity is just going to need it more and more. So I may as well just take this time to do the groundwork of, you know, education and learning and practicing as much as possible. And it definitely, I felt that full circle moment in 2020, where I just, instead of feeling depleted, I felt really energized to step in even harder to all of the stuff that I do kind of the suffering of the world in a way made me reaffirm that these are all these practices are here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's no accident. It's all part of the healing arts, right? It's still an art form and art is magical. People think arts are jokes and no, no, I think, I mean, I hate to sound like this may be misconstrued as a narcissistic statement, but I truly believe that God, if you believe in that word, that God loves artists. Like there's a special place (laughs) because very few people get to be part of the arts and surrender to it completely because it seems like, especially in this country, the United States, uh, it's looked down on a little bit. Right. I mean, we happen to be in L.A. where you and I know that it's a different vibe for that particular. But anywhere else in this country, odds are if you're an artist, there's already this all preconceived notion about what you're supposed to be like or should be like. And that's usually disorganized, messy and all that jazz. And it doesn't have to be that way. Was it odd? Yeah. Right. You agree. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do. Yeah. Was it odd for you though, as a little girl, I just imagined a little girl just running around because at some point I was very involved in the Kundalini yoga community with the Sikhs and all that stuff. And I just remember seeing all these little happy children running around and being like serious little yoginis and stuff. And I'm just picturing you (laughs) sort of being part of that, that whole world. But was it weird for you when you realized not every child grew up in homes like that? Did you have a moment? Yeah, I went, Wait, what do you mean you don't do yoga every day? Like, yeah, I think, um, I mean, I didn't spend, I would say in my early years, I didn't spend a lot of time around um, other people's families. I would say I was with my family a lot and I was also involved in so many extracurricular activities 
So I didn't really know that what I was doing was really any different until I reached high school. And it was also a very, I would say, more private experience because my mom's practice and my grandmother's practice um, was all at home. They weren't really a part of like a, well, they were in their own way, but they weren't part of a bigger community that they introduced me to where I was then practicing in public with them. So it was very much just like a spiritual practice in the home. And that this is just, you know, like our, our grounding time. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until high school that I really started to realize once I was hanging out with other people, friends going over to their houses and that sort of thing that I realized, Oh, (laughs) you know, like people have no idea what this is and they have no idea what I'm talking about. And people's parents look at me crazy when it's like, you know, this young teenager talking about meditation and healing arts and all this stuff when it's not even something that they were really tapping into or talking about whatsoever um, themselves. But I also was really badly bullied in from the fourth grade up until the eighth grade. And so these practices were also my form of healing that my godmother would kind of prescribe me different energetic things to do home practices to help just release and combat all of the bullying that was happening in school. So it, it, for a long time, like I was very much like, felt like a lone wolf. I was very, um, there was a lot of still introverted. Yeah. There was just, I was a closed shell, you know, like I was just kind of like this little cage bird, um, who felt very safe around their family and family friends. But, and so I kept all that, all those practices very much like just to myself. And like, this is just what I do to help, you know, feel just good about myself and, you know, release all of that negativity that was occurring. Would you mind terribly sharing some of the bullying? Why? What was it about you that made you a target, for lack of a better term? Because you're from Canada and we think Canadians are the nicest, sweetest people. (laughs) No aggression. Kids are kids. (laughs) Kids Kids are the same. I feel like no matter where you go in the world, but oh, I mean, it varied so much. Like I would just get picked on by um, by boys in my class. And I never really understood why, um, things that were happened was there was, you know, one of the kids in my class would like like physically, you know, he obviously had anger issues, but he would like throw chairs and try and flip the desk and like, was very outwardly aggressive in terms of like trying to harm me. He, he like would try and beat me up like in the playground for no reason, I had another kid like literally gag himself and throw up on me when I was in the third grade, you know, it's just, (laughs) and then each time though, what was very problematic was the teachers would just say, Oh, they just have a crush on you. And so it it really kind of, that was a whole other thing that I had to work through as well to kind of differentiate that when someone hurts you, it doesn't mean they like you. And, but that was really something that these adults and teachers principals, you know, every time you get sent into the office, it would be, oh, they just have a crush on you. And you're kind of like taking this out of proportion. Um, And then as I started to kind of mature, I, you know, I'm a taller person and I shot up to be um, around to be five foot eight when I was like in the seventh grade. 
And so then it was mainly, you know, and then I was chubby and I have braces and I have really frizzy hair. I don't know what to do with my curls. So, you know, I just felt like this just very awkward person who felt like too big to be there. I had a lot of awareness to know that everything that was going on was just, I felt like I was like an old person stuck in this little kid's body half the time because I just felt, I felt like I had more awareness than a lot of my teachers and all the adults around me. A lot of my experience up until I got to high school just felt very, and I would say high school included too, just felt very out of body. Like, I just can't wait for this to be over and for me to kind of get to physically a place that aligns with where I'm at uh, mentally. So I'm just happy that I was mature enough to not get completely depressed but I think it's because I had all these spiritual practice like meditation and, you know, using baths with essential oils and just getting this really solid self-care routine down from middle school. Um, that really just helped me to really get through it all and, and release that and not carry it on as baggage that I have today. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, you were protected. And it's just, um, you know, I got to say, I'm I'm really a little annoyed and pissed off at adults who just say, oh, it's because they like boys like you, you know, luckily you had, you were given some tools, you were placed in a family that it was able to help you on do this work to get you through that time. But let's, suicide is a huge thing right now among children around that age group that you were in. Mm-hmm. And it's, I can imagine they're not given those tools or these tools aren't even uh, available to them. Right. Oh, I, I can understand it completely. Cause there was definitely times where I had suicidal thoughts when I was that age, because I would always take the subway to school. And there were times where I would just stand on the platform and be like, what if I just wasn't here anymore? You know, what if I just jumped And there was always a voice in my head that, you know, told me not to and told me that I had a lot to live for still. But I can, but when I hear of, you know, people like preteens and teens who commit suicide, I I can completely understand and relate, especially if you don't have the tools, why that could happen in such a split second of just, you know, making this choice, you know, completely irrationally, but really just from this, this place of despair that, you know, it there's too much suffering here. Let me just leave this place that feels a lot more peaceful. And I can't help but think to the messaging we get as young girls when boys are mean to us. Oh, it's because they like you. Fast forward to we're adults and, you know, unless a man is mean to me, then he must not like me or love me. There's that. We don't, you know, they don't talk about that, but that's part of that messaging that makes this bad behavior acceptable as an adult as well. You're like, oh, you're mistreating me. You must like me. How warped is that? Yeah. And I think a lot of people actually deal with that subconsciously without even really realizing it. And that's why so many people find themselves in you know toxic and emotionally abusive relationships is because we've you know we have all of this messaging that we receive from a young age and we don't realize that we were internalizing all of it until we become adults and we're like until you finally break out of that cycle but i think most people go through a cycle of just being in toxic relationships until one day they realize that like you know this is not healthy and that this it is possible to have the opposite. 
Yeah. Most people, if they are lucky and brave, because the work is is hard. It's hard work when you have to look at yourself and 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 make these decisions and try hard not to fall back into some patterns, you know, because there are times when I feel I personally know I feel like, oh, I've conquered this. I'm good. I'm on the other side. And then somehow something happens to test me and I can easily get sucked back in. So that's a whole other Hey, listeners, the term self-care is thrown around a lot these days and deservedly so. And I think we can all agree that mental health is part of self-care. And one of the many reasons we tell ourselves is lack of time and money. Well, BetterHelp.com is the world's largest counseling service. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed, accredited, and board-certified therapist in under 24 hours. Therapy from the comfort of your own space. What could be better than that? You can schedule weekly video sessions or phone sessions with your own personal counselor. You can log into your account at any time from anywhere to send a message to your counselor. And BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change your counselor if you ever needed to. Um, it's very affordable. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And financial aid is available. So get started today. And you as a What the Fockery listener, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash fockery10. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash fockery10. In fact, use fockery10 as a promo code and discount code anytime and anywhere you um, use our sponsors. Okay, back to our program. Speaking of radiant health, garbage in, garbage out, as we know. Well, I have subscribed to this new meal service. It is called Vistro, V-E-E-S-T-R-O. Whether you are working from home or commuting to work or going to school or just doing life, when you're too tired to cook or you're too busy, guess what? You end up inevitably that Fast food drive through looks amazing, doesn't it? I've been there, done that. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And we just end up making perhaps not the best health decisions. Well, Vistro makes these delicious chef-inspired plant-based healthy alternative meals delivered straight to your home anywhere in the U.S., All you have to do is just heat and enjoy. Some of them follow the recipe. If it says in the oven, do it in the oven. Microwave, microwave. However, all I know is for me personally, it has been a game changer. It's saved some time, my health, and my portion control. My favorites from Vistro. Okay, my absolute favorite, you guys, is this impossible gluten-free lasagna. Can I just say I have fooled a friend who's Italian, who just loves these lasagna. And when he discovered that I, you know, tricked him, he was just really blown away. I also like their jackfruit pozzole, the Moroccan melange. I could go on, but I do. So I order a la carte. It's just how I do it. Uh, But why am I sharing this with you? Well, here's what Nadege August does for her lovers, puppies, kittens, and schmoopies. If I love something, I just reach out to the company now and I go, hey, I have a podcast. I have people who listen. 
what can we do? I want to give them a discount and share this with them. And of course, they obliged. So the best part of all of this is that the What the Fockery family, you, my lover, puppy, kitten, schmoopy, and your friends and family, feel free to share this code, is Fockery25. Punch that puppy in at checkout where it says promo code, and you will get 25% off. Just go to vstro.com. That is V-E-E-S-T-R-O.com. And you can either automate or just order your meals at a la carte. Healthy meals. The links are, of course, in the show notes. And you know what? You don't have to subscribe. I just do like 10 meals every 15 days because based on my lifestyle, that is all I need. Uh, And you're not tethered to it, right? You try it once. You're not crazy about it. Stop. But I promise you, you'll be hooked. It doesn't hurt. Vistro.com com fuckery 25 Ooh, we we are spilling some tea wouldn't you say my lovers my puppies my kittens my schmoopies listen i don't know about you but i'm more likely to stick with a healthy habit if i know why it's helping me and that's why i'm happy that we are now being sponsored by peak tea. Now, why do I love Peak Tea so much? Well, other than the obvious fact that they are sponsoring the podcast, they are also offering you, my listeners, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies, a discount. Fockery 5, 5% at everything you order. Uh, Use code Fockery 5 at checkout. But back to why. So here's what I found out. There are three secrets to unlocking the benefits of plants and to maximize the health potentials. Number one, antioxidants. They are known as nature's cleanup crew. Uh, They are found in green tea, black tea, elderberry, turmeric, all things that they have. Antioxidants help protect cells against harmful effects and free radicals and oxidative stress resulting from aging, environmental toxins, and more. And uh, number two, science tells us the benefits of the plants are groundbreaking. But why are so many experiencing minimal benefits? Well, because the key to getting the most nature has to offer is lies in its quality, quality. Well, peak tea takes the highest quality plant ingredients from supreme sources, like from Aswan, Egypt, to Kagoshima, Japan, They then extract the bioactive compounds in the tea and the super plants at cold to low temperatures for up to eight hours using uh, what they call the cold extraction technology. And the final result, it's an amazing antioxidant. The antioxidants are actually preserved in whole form. And finally, radiant health. My gosh, Radiant Health comes with consistency and Peak Tea's products are designed to be simple, effective, and enjoyable. Trust me, take it from someone who is now a Peak Tea fan and addict. I do their Puer Tea, great for your microbiome. Their green tea in the afternoon. Oh, by the way, the Puer has gotten me off coffee in the mornings. Oh, my New York just came out. 
off. Get off of me. <laughs> uh, if you hop over to our uh, Instagram page, you will see the tea, what it looks like. Their matcha is to die for. But here's the thing. You will never want to use a tea bag again because they come in crystal forms. All you have to do is just add hot or cold water to your peak tea crystals and done, 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 done. Go to peaktea.com. That's P-I-Q-U-E. TEA.com. Links and show notes, of course. And use discount code FOCKERY5 at checkout for 5%. Whenever you need a little pick me up, just get some pick tea. Pick tea. All right. Back to the show. How did you train? Or is there training, formal training available for end of life uh, work? Yeah. Um, end of life guide yeah so there there is formal training that you can do the one that I did was in San Francisco it's called the International End of Life Doula Association Um, and so they hold trainings I believe in New York and San Francisco and I'm not sure if they travel to other parts of the country but they're a nonprofit organization um, and they host these trainings for people Um, And so I would say if someone is interested in learning more about it and like starting the journey, that would be a really good place to start. And they also have a ton of online resources as well in terms of just information that's out there. If you're someone that just wants to learn but doesn't necessarily want to, um, you know, go do a training or go to a workshop or seminar or something like that. Right. Just to confirm, uh, at some point you mentioned how your work isn't just for someone who may be transitioning. And I say maybe because nothing is guaranteed to me. No doctor has the definite date of your departure. Even with children, they guesstimate when they're coming in. No, you know, it's seldom accurate. Uh, So it's the same. But you also mentioned how you can support those around that person as well. Can you share what are some tools that you can offer to someone who has a loved one or a dear friend who may be facing such a crisis? I think the main thing is to not make it about yourself. So a lot of times what becomes stressful for the person who is in that process of facing their own mortality a lot of times they can sometimes be more peaceful and in a place of acceptance before the people around them. And so there, there is a, a switch where that happens where they'll start to kind of settle in and, and come to this calm space where they just kind of accept, understand everything that's going on, have the final conversations that they need to have too, and just to you know, have those internal conversations with themselves, but then what starts to arise is the people around them start to cling and want to hold on. And so the biggest gift that anyone can really, or a lesson for all people to learn is that the nature of suffering isn't holding on in any capacity, in any area of life. And so it's to not make it about yourself. Because a lot of the times, if we have a loved one passing, we talk about how hard it is for me, what, how this is affecting my life, what I'm going through now. And in those moments, it's really important to shine a light on the person that is actually going through the thing themselves 
and to ask yourself, how can you show up and be supportive as much as possible for that person to be there for them? How can you be of service to them? And so I think if we kind of reframe the thinking of instead of, you know, why is this happening to me? Start to ask ourselves, how can we be of service to this person in our lives and actually not shy away from them or distance ourselves because it makes us have to face our own questions about our own life that show up. It really is a beautiful opportunity for healing and just spiritual growth. If we can move beyond the ego, if we can move beyond the self and those situations and really see how we can serve that person in our life and just be a part of that transition. It's such a gift. And so many people don't get to be there. Um, when someone's passing or to even have those conversations with them, you know, being up to those moments. Yeah. And I imagine it's, it's really hard when it's your own parent as well. Let me ask you this. And I know this isn't a definite answer, but do you think that those around you can energetically hold you back from transitioning I say this because I think of a grandmother who, whom I feel it is her children are the ones who are keeping her from leaving. In other words, like she's becoming a shell of herself. She's at peace with transitioning, but she also knows that my, some of my children are just not ready for this. So I'm just going to lay here and just, do you know, what do you think? Absolutely. My two woo. Absolutely. No, no, it's it's absolutely a thing that happens. And even when someone passes on it, there's still a lot of turmoil and tensions and maybe fear that that person who passed has towards the people who are currently living in this situation they're going to be in. That can also cause someone's spirit or soul to not fully move on and still try and stay attached to this like three-dimensional earth realm like as much as possible. But absolutely, when the people around you aren't at peace with what's going on or when they are clinging on to you to help them stand on their own two feet, all of those dynamics play a huge part in that person um, hanging on. You know, it's, it's because there's so much unresolved that needs to get resolved in, you know, this physical plane that causes them to cling and kind of prolong that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I can totally see that. How do you feel? And that's why it's really important for when you are, you know, in the presence, if someone in your life is passing, it's really important to um, come to a space of completion with them, not just for yourself, but for them as well. It just it makes the process that much more beautiful and peaceful for everyone involved. And the longer that things go without being addressed, um, the more suffering that everyone is kind of creating unintentionally, but it is additional suffering that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. And by completion, you mean resolve the unresolved, say what needed to be said, what should have been said. Yeah, I get that. Exactly. Yeah. I see why that's important. How, where do you stand or, and by you, I just mean the general community of what you do. Uh, you end of life guides. Do you, how do you feel about life support? I think that everything has, so an end of life doula, the, the whole goal is to also be a voice for 
that person who is in the process of transitioning themselves and an advocate. And so it's about getting down to what that individual wants and supporting them through that and not bringing any of your own bias into it. It's completely about being an advocate for that person. And then sometimes being there when those hard conversations are happening around the family, because that person can sometimes feel ganged up on. Mm -hmm. And so then they go against what they want to try and satisfy others. And so that is also what the end of life doula is there for is to advocate for that person. Yeah. And so I think each case is so different, but I think at the end of the day, the choice should always come down to the person um, and what they want, you know, and if, and if the, if it's legal and safe where you live, then, and you have the support of your doctors and it's not some underground weird thing, you know, then I think that's okay. You have to um, be at peace with what that person wants for themselves. If they're in pain and if they are suffering and if there's no end to that suffering, um, people really care about their quality of life. And if they feel like they've had a really good life and they've experienced and done so much and, you know, it, I mean, every situation is a little bit different, but, you know, it, you really have to trust that the person who is near the end of their life really knows what's best for them and to just support them in whatever decisions that they want to happen about their own lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, this conversation was both delightful, <laughs> sad, but sad only because I think we are in this, as you said, our 3D world on earth and this plane that we are in, um, we are limited. I personally believe that all that happens is that this body is just no longer physically there. I, in my fantasy, I imagine that my soul or the souls of my ancestors are still around, but they are just, they're about, they come in and go as they wish. We, neither you nor I have definite answers. We probably have strong opinions based on how we were raised or what we've come to believe. Interestingly, I wanted to jump a little bit on the yoga thing. I just, I do remember how I was always super attracted to yoga and having family members who were super Christian look at it as if it's a weird thing. It's a sacrilegious thing. And fast forward to now, they are older adults who now are trying to do yoga or calling me and asking me about it. And I want to gloat and say, it's not so weird now, is it? (laughs) (laughs) So that gives me hope that what you do is going to become even more and more uh, available and the word will spread because in a perfect world, hospitals, I feel, should have uh, people like you available to support, to support others. That's my personal wish. Do you see that as a possibility or even something that may happen years from now? Or I absolutely do because um, the place that I was certified through in ALDA, International End of Life Doula Association, they have um, this program that they've been building in New York where they have um, in one of their hospitals, I forget right now off the top of my head, which one, 
but they have um, a program, an end-of-life doula program in one of the hospitals um, out there where they have that full-time support of doulas that have shifts, just like nurses, um, and are assigned to certain patients. And so they're really, you know, nonprofit organization that is trying to grow and build this work. So right now it just exists in that one hospital. Maybe there's some more across the country, um, but it is it is an area that is starting to grow that people really are understanding um, through their work and the programs that they've been developing and building and their success that it is absolutely needed. Um, and, you know, it, that's my hope as well, is that all the hospitals, this will just be as common. I think the only hurdle in it all is the same kind of negative connotation that birth doulas sometimes have. Um, you know, just Western medicine is takes a little longer to embrace alternative, complementary. I think I like to use that term more and more these days, complementary instead of alternative, because all parts are important. And so just doing complementary holistic practices and embracing those. And it's, it's really coming out of the need of patients just requesting this more and more as they do more research on how do I manage my pain in a natural way? How do I get more comfortable? How do I become more at peace? These are not questions, you know, necessarily for um, the, the nurse that's working overnight that night, you know, they try as best as they can. And a lot of them also do Reiki and yoga. I have friends that are yoga teachers as well as nurses. Um, and so they're able to slip in alternative and holistic and complementary practices, but it's still um, ground upon incognito. Yeah. It's, it's just under the radar. It's just there that one person that happens to be doing it and making a big impact in the lives of the people they work with. So it is starting to happen. I definitely have faith that we'll start to see more and more of it arising. And I have a hope that and dream that it'll become just, you know, a national program for hospitals all over this country and beyond. And I do love that your use of the word complementary instead of alternative, because alternative just sounds like, okay, I'm rejecting all things <laughs> medical and I'm going to go this route. I think we can make them work together, holding each other's hands and support each other. Uh, we're so quick to turn to drugs when in fact, you know, meditation can help ease essential oils heal and help. So support. I remember there was a time when insurance companies wouldn't cover acupuncture care. And now yeah. we have agreed that you can go to an acupuncturist and they will cover some of it. So there is hope that we are hopefully. It is help. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I would say Chinese medicine is one of the Eastern practices that um, is really helping to progress um, the whole movement along and merging it with Western medicine, because we're, you know, we're finally starting to see things like acupuncture being covered. Um, another one, um, this just slipped my mind. Maybe I'll come back to it, but yeah, there's just, there's just more and more practices that are starting to be made available, even therapy, mental health. I started getting emails from my doctor about, you know, just, a meditation session virtual. And I was like, Oh, wow, like, <laughs> this is so beautiful. I never thought that um, people would be doing this. So some yeah, good things came happening. out of some good things came out of the pandemic. Yeah. And yeah. yoga is getting constantly recommended with all of the studies 
um, that are being done long term. You know, it's we've we've known that these practices have always been legit, but it's kind of like you know, people like to have things go through their own channels of verification and that sort of thing. Um, so it's just it's just really beautiful to see. Oh, and I remember what I was going to say is that we're starting to see in terms of cancer patients because I work in the realm of people who typically have cancer. And so a lot of what I do is energy healing is the sound healing with the different singing bowls and gongs and those instruments. And one of the newer practices that is, has been going through trials now and starting to have a lot of success is vibrational sound therapy for cancer as an, either an alternative or complementary to chemotherapy. And so that to me is really exciting on seeing how these Eastern practices and Western technology coming together to help a person in a more holistic way um, that isn't hurting them or making them more sick in the process. So that's really exciting to me. And that's, you know, a brand new area that's emerging um, within health and healing. So yeah, it's out there. (laughs) It's just taking a little time. I got a magazine from UCLA, which is part of the net, my medical care network. And there was an article where they are actually using essential oils for pain management in certain facilities at the center. And I thought, well, knock me over with a feather. I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> you mean lavender relax? <laughs> I know. I know. It's exciting that it's like, it's, we had to go like to the complete opposite end of the spectrum to kind of bounce back somewhere in the middle and to, you know, not reject, but embrace and just understand that the answer is always working in community and collaboration. You know, it's never about my way needs to be the only way. And I need to work as hard as possible to make that true. You know, it's, that's not, it's not um, about competition. It's really just about collaboration and coming together. It really is. Beautiful. My love, thank you so very much for giving us this time. I do want to ask you, with your permission, I'd love to uh, share how people can get a hold of you. Uh, I'll put them in the show notes, but would you just tell us what, if you have like social media or a website or a way someone can just like shoot you an email, like, I think I can use your services, please. Absolutely. I have both. I have a website. It's airnouveau.com. And my Instagram handle is the same, airnouveau, A-Y-R-E-S, <laughs> nouveau, like new in new. French. Mm-hmm. Um, it's new air. That's what it means. It's new air. And so we're not just heirs to the materialistic things. We're heirs to the fortune that lives within everyone. Right. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, do you feel like there is a question that I should have asked that I've not asked, or if there's an area you are hoping to sort of delve into that I didn't think to ask you about? I really feel that we, we touched upon so many different things. And I mean, I feel like I could talk to you forever. (laughs) Yeah. So there is a, yeah. there's not, there's not a single question where I'm just like, oh, we should have talked about this more. I really feel like we, we hit all the points. I think so, too. I think so, too. And finally, my martini, at the end of every episode, I ask my guests to say goodbye to my guest, my listeners, my guests, too, uh, the way they would say goodbye to a loved one. Now, I know as yoginis, we're going to say namaste, but there has to be a Talia way of saying goodbye. 
<laughs> Touch you the lay. I honor the place in each of your hearts where lives your courage, honor, love, hope, and dreams. And I honor the same place where if you're at that place in you and I'm at that very same place in me, there is only one of us. May the longtime sun shine upon you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>